0: Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers Podcast with your host, Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers Podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics, including health, fitness, and training strategies, to name a few. If you enjoy the show and wish to support, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO Podcast. If you do not use Patreon or wish to make a one-time donation, please visit the show PayPal page at paypal.me.com. Forward slash HPO pod. Links to both of those can be found in the show notes. Also, consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform and on our video version of the show hosted on YouTube. For updates and notifications, please visit my social media channels at Zach Bitter on Instagram, at Z ZBitter on Twitter, and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. If you wish to sponsor the show or have any other questions or feedback, please reach out to me at hpopodcast at gmail.com. All right, I think I'm up and live. So uh, we're back uh, for another transcontinental run training and nutrition live stream here on the Human Performance Outliers podcast YouTube channel. Uh, A couple things before we get rolling with kind of a week four recap. I did a week one recap and then I combined weeks two and three earlier, uh, just because I was unable to record after week two. So if you're curious about kind of what the happenings were within those first three weeks, uh, head over to the, either the YouTube channel or the podcast audio version, uh, to check both or one of those out. So I'm going to kind of go through the same general framework with it, where I'll talk a little bit about kind of the training, what I learned, uh, what I kind of pulled from it and then talk a little bit about the nutrition side of it, some strength and mobility stuff with it too. Uh, as well as touch on any questions that folks in the, in, the, in the chat want to have answered about it. So feel free to drop those in as, uh, as they come up if you have them. Or if you already have them, feel free to drop them in right now. So a couple things, though, before we get rolling on that. This live stream is brought to you by my footwear sponsor, Ultra Footwear. So they make a foot-shaped toe box, balanced cushioning, It's uh, like an ergonomic shoe for your foot. So I wear, uh, right now, I've been cycling through three of their shoes quite a bit. The Ultra Escalante, uh, the Ultra Torin, and the Ultra Rivera. So if you're interested in those, I do have a 15% off promo code in my uh, social profile links. So if you want to check them out, get 15% off, you can head that way. The other one is Coros Watch. I've got my Coros Vertex on right here. This is what I use to track my training, the heart rate, pace, distance, uh, climbing and descending, all that stuff. And with a promo code Zach, you can get a free accessory with any purchase there. So, uh, if you're in the market for a new, uh, GPS watch, uh, give them a look, check them out and and see what you think. It's been a a great watch for my, for my training and racing the last couple of years. All right. So one other thing, uh, I did get asked a question last time where it was essentially, Um, like, what are you doing during these longer, slower runs in terms of just like kind of staying focused or entertaining myself? And usually on these longer efforts, I'll listen to podcasts a little bit more than music, just because the lower intensity stuff, I don't necessarily need or want to get really like amped up from, from music or anything like that. Uh, I will switch back and forth, especially with some of these longer sessions, just to kind of find changes uh, but this uh, this week, I wanted to share one of the podcasts I listened to for folks who maybe are interested, I thought that just stuck out in my mind. So it was uh, Dr. Mike Nelson. So he's been a guest on the podcast a couple of times, but he also has his own podcast called the Flex Diet Podcast. And he had uh, a dietitian on there, uh, Jeff Rothschild, and they were talking about a, uh, a study or a uh, an experiment that that Jeff had done in his laboratory or in a laboratory over in New Zealand where they were actually looking at just the difference between fasted training, uh, fed training in a low carbohydrate state and fed training with a carbohydrate. So the way they kind of set it up is they had uh, a morning running session and they had one group do like just nothing, just completely fasted. They had another group do, I think it was roughly 300 calories of a carbohydrate-based uh, breakfast, and then another group that did uh, fats and protein. I think the fats and protein was like a couple of tablespoons of peanut butter and, and a, a scoop of protein powder or something like that. And what they found it was actually kind of interesting was that if the workout was relatively, like, I think it was around 60 minutes and definitely under 90 minutes, they didn't see any performance difference, really like significant difference between the, you know, the fasted group and the fed groups. So, uh, it was just, obviously once you get up longer than that, you start introducing some interesting variables, but they actually did include some speed sessions too. I think they had some short intervals if I'm remembering right in there. So, uh, for those, I know I get a lot of questions about, should I run fasted? Should I run fed? And I think there's a lot of individuality there and there's a lot of context. There. It depends on kind of what you're doing or how long, in this particular case, how long you're going to be out there for. Uh, so that one was worth checking out if you're interested in hearing kind of the details. They did a really good job of kind of explaining. And that was uh season two, episode 44 of the Flex Diet podcast with Dr. Mike Nelson and Jeff Rothschild. Um, So uh, that's the, kind of my uh, my intro to the, the training and stuff. So week four was a little interesting. I'm actually gonna cheat a little bit on this recap. So the reason being is the way I had the week set up, I did my transcontinental simulation on Sunday and Monday. So technically that's the end of week four, beginning of week five. But since like that simulation runs together and that's where I'm drawing a lot of like kind of my adjustments and training and what I'm gathering from that keeping them together is kind of important for the context of it. So I am going to kind of stretch this week out a little bit longer, uh, for essentially an eight day week and touch on that. Uh, if you exclude that, so that Monday part of it though, I, I totaled for this week, 116.05 miles. So a little bit lower than the previous couple of weeks. And that's basically just because, uh, a huge chunk, actually 40 miles of my, my kind of transcon simulation came at the start of the other week. Um, I also did focus on speed work a little bit more this week than I have in the last couple. I did two speed sessions. So one thing, if you haven't been listening, that I have been trying to keep in place is some shorter, faster sessions when I'm not right up against uh, one of the Transcon simulations. The nice thing about these simulations is they're, they're long enough and they're time-consuming enough and they're demanding enough where I usually get a couple extra days off than I normally would. So when I do get around to doing some of the running in the, in between, I like to kind of mix up some short intervals and faster stuff in there. So this week that included two speed sessions. One was 15 by one minute, hard one minute, easy. So for those short intervals, I usually consider a short interval between 30 seconds and four minutes for my training purposes. Uh, the, I usually do one to one ratio of work to recover. So if I'm doing hard intervals and it's one minute, that means I'm going to take a minute after that first or after that hard one to do a just easy jog. Uh, so that's the, how I had that structured. Um, the next one was, uh, I did a five times what I call dreamy draw hill. So there's this road that's just alongside of my house called dreamy draw. And it's just, a, it's not a super steep hill by any stretch, but it's a gradual incline. So I like to do speed work up that sometimes, especially when I'm doing multiple speed sessions or more than one speed session a week. Just because of the impact of doing faster stuff, it, uh, it can be something that is a little more risky from an injury standpoint. So with my goal being very long and very slow with a transcontinental project I'm more interested in the benefits of speed work outside of the leg turnover thing. So I don't really, won't really need a lot of really fast leg turnover for the transcontinental project, but I still think the speed work will be valuable. So slight uphill stuff, I think is a, is a pretty good thing for me to keep in place when I'm doing more than one of these in a week for, so that's why I kind of did that one. So that's the second speed session. Um, Second part was the actual simulation itself. So for those who were tuning in last time, you'll remember I kind of mentioned that I was going to turn up that two-day simulation just to a little more volume than I had in the, the previous two. So my previous two were essentially a day where I would do kind of back-to-back long runs in one day where it'd be like 20 miles in the morning, a couple hours off in between, then a 20-mile run in the afternoon. And then the following day, i do one longer solo run, and those were 36 miles the first time and 33 the second time. So for this one, the thing I did differently is I made them both solo runs. So rather than kind of having a break in between, I did it all at once on both days. And I just stretched out a little bit. So the first day was 46.5 miles. Um, I actually learned quite a bit on this one, a little more than maybe I bargained for. And part of that was just because it got really hot. Uh, I'm living in Phoenix. So that's just the reality this time of year. But at the end of the outdoor section of this run. So I did break this one up. I did 40 miles uh, starting at, I think I started at like six in the morning. So I got a few hours in before the heat really started kind of picking up. But then by the end of that 40 miles, it hit 111 degrees Fahrenheit. So I was really starting to kind of feel the sun and the heat a bit. Uh, So I did the final six and a half miles of that run inside on a treadmill just to get out of the heat. And, And mostly just because I don't really need to be running in that hot of temperatures for this project, since I'm doing it in the fall. I won't be dealing with temperatures anywhere near that. So it's uh, it can be good for mental toughness and probably some adaptations that I get from running in that heat. But uh, it's not necessarily something that I need to fine tune as drastically as it got. So when it comes to like a situation where. I'm going to get a little bit better of a run or a workout by kind of getting on a treadmill in these really hot mid date time points. I'll probably start doing that. Um, so that was paired with the following day where I did kind of a similar setup. This time it was 25 miles outside, 15 miles inside on the treadmill uh, to make up a, a total of 86 and a half miles with that two-day simulation. So some interesting things that kind of came up. I took some data points on this. So for that first day, that 46 and a half miler, I consumed over 500 ounces of fluids, like water basically, with uh, five grams of electrolytes. I had those element packets, which are about a thousand milligrams of electrolytes. I went through five of those, um, over 500 ounces of water. Um, I Most of that was obviously in the outdoor section, but I, re- I, I stayed on top of it for the most part. I felt pretty good. I, was, uh, I didn't feel like I was dehydrating. I did make one mistake where... Uh, I was doing like little bit shorter loops and out and backs for the most part on this, just because I knew it was going to get hot. I didn't want to go too far away and then have a, you know, overheat or something like that and then be way far away from the house. Uh, But what I did do on the final out and back I did before hitting mile 40 was I had a pack on and the pack, I just put almost all ice in there and a little bit of water and I underestimated how fast the what, that ice was going to melt. So I found myself just kind of with like a bag of ice, more or less, for a good chunk of that that final stretch. It was only like, I want to say, maybe eight miles total. So it wasn't that big of an issue. But when I, what I did notice was usually for these longer run simulations, I'm at around 120, maybe up to 130 beats per minute from a heart rate standpoint, uh, which makes sense. That's what I would expect it to be. If I'm running between like an eight, nine minute mile pace, those last couple of miles outside as the temperatures hit 111 and I started maybe getting a little behind on fluids, it spiked up to 162 beats per minute. And I didn't speed up at all. In fact, I was probably running slower at that point. So I was just probably getting a little bit low on blood volume, overheating a little bit and my body was kind of letting me know it. So I got inside, cooled off, drank some more fluids and then hopped on the treadmill and finished it off. Uh, but that was the only thing that I guess if you want to call it a mistake that I made that maybe... Uh, made it a little more difficult. But after that day, it didn't really feel bad at all the next morning when I went out for that second second run or second, second day of the simulation. I did try something a little different on that. So for that first run of this simulation and both of the previous ones, I was generally between about eight, nine minute pace. I'm really trying to work on figuring out kind of like what the ideal pacing strategy is going to be for this how much walking am I going to want to blend in or am I going to want to just run slow enough where I can kind of go at a pretty standard pace the majority of the time. And so far the eight to nine minute pace has felt pretty good. I've been bouncing back from one day to the next. Obviously I need to stretch these simulations out even longer to really get a good look at that. But uh, I'll keep teasing that out. One thing I did try on the Monday morning, 40 miler, 25 outside, 15 on the treadmill, was I slowed down a bit. I tried to keep this one between 9 and 10 minute mile pace just to see what I felt like the difference was. And the interesting thing I noticed was it seemed like when I would slow down that much, it felt almost like it was easier to kind of just zone out, if that makes sense. It's kind of hard to describe, but the way I kind of reflected on it, and it's hard to tease out if it was the pacing or something else from this, but I finished the first 20 miles of that of that run. I remember thinking like when I stepped inside to reload up on water and electrolytes and do some fueling, uh, thinking like that it just the time it went by really fast. Like I was almost just in a trance during that section. So I don't know if that's a good pacing strategy for me to be able to essentially just kind of like tune out and uh, not really think about it. And if it's going to help pass the time really quickly, which is going to be a huge advantage for something like this, where I'm going to be out there moving 12, maybe 14 hours a day. Uh, if I can kind of disconnect from, you know, every second of that for four points in time and still make pretty decent progress and a nine to 10 minute pace, if I'm doing it consistently is plenty fast. It was definitely something I want to take note of and kind of recheck it, try again and see if I get a similar uh, outcome from that. So the heat was a big thing. Uh playing around with a slower pace. Recovery has been great so far. This is the thing I've been the most optimistic about so far, these simulations is I thought I'd be more achy and a little more sore after these. Generally I'm not. So that's a good sign. Um the one thing I did notice after this simulation, the only area on me that had any type of like that I really noticed at all on the morning after that second day was the tops of my feet felt maybe a little bit more sore. So Uh, if that's a spot, that's maybe a point of weakness, I'll definitely want to try to address kind of strengthening that area or just watching it throughout these bigger simulations that'll be coming up to make sure that's not going to be something that's going to flare up on me and become a problem, uh, during the actual uh, simulation itself. So during these last two simulations, I did do a little more fueling. So the first couple, I was kind of leaning on what I do a lot of times with my long runs when I'm training for a single day ultra marathon, where I'll, kind of split them up more 50-50 where there'll be some long runs where I'll just do with water and electrolytes. And essentially I'm doing a field test where I'm just kind of testing how I feel, what my energy state is, how consistent I can be without introducing a fuel source. I like to call it kind of my fat adaptation field test. And then once I'm kind of confident and confirmed for some of those long sessions with no fuel, then I'll start bringing in some fuel to try to practice and remind myself what it's like to do that. Because on race day, ultimately I'm going to be taking in food and and fuel and things like that. So, this one, I did a little more fueling those other ones just to kind of start practicing that. Because on the transcontinental project, there's just no way around eating during the during the run. Even when you think about it, 12, 14 hours a day, uh, I can't rely on just like a big meal before and a big meal after to make up the like 10,000 plus calories I'm going to end up burning on every, any given day out there. I'm going to have to be fairly consistently taking in energy in order to stay on top of that from one day to the next. So. I was doing, I was playing around with a few different kind of like food options that were both solid and kind of mixtures that I put in, uh, for some of it, it was some of the S fuels product line. So I was using their train product, which is their kind of the carb free powder you can put in your bottle. And I haven't really been bringing back a lot of carbohydrates or hardly any carbohydrates at all for these longer sessions. Um, just because the demand is so low from a from an energy output standpoint, at the like per minute or per hour time frame, with a heart rate of one hundred twenty to one hundred thirty, I'm burning almost all fat, if not all fat, at at those lower intensities. So, um, I'm trying to get in a little more fat and a little more protein during these to practice that and see how that feels, and and some small amounts of carbohydrates just because I want to kind of confirm to myself where their application may be during the project itself. But some of the stuff I took in was the S-Fuels train. I did some of the, I did a scoop of the S-Fuels revival, which is just their protein powder. Since these simulations were taking me past noon and into the early afternoon, I also didn't necessarily want to inherit a massive calorie deficit in training in general and try to catch up with that. So that also kind of helps me kind of get a little more fuel in before that point. So I don't feel like I'm just stuffing myself the remainder of the day. Um, I also did a little bit of yogurt and some whole milk. Uh, I've been playing around with a little more dairy cause I just think that's going to be a really good tool if I can tolerate it during, uh, the transcontinental run, just cause I get a lot of liquid calories in that way. Can get a lot of like very calorie dense, low volume, uh, stuff in, which is going to be very important when I'm trying to eat that much. Uh, and it's been sitting well in my stomach, having any issues. I, I also had an S fuels, uh, life bar, which is just a protein bar. So I was able to get somewhere in the neighborhood of probably about forty grams of protein in during those simulation runs, as well as uh probably another like anywhere in the neighborhood of like six, seven hundred calories worth of fat during them as well. and not, no issues with that. It all worked really well the The only carbohydrate source I had during either of those two uh two simulation days was I had a little bit of honey before I started both of them. And I had one packet of s Fuels Race Plus, which is like, depending on which flavor, like 14 to 15 grams of carbohydrate. And I had one of those uh, in the middle of that first simulation for the, the day one of that first simulation. Uh, so that's kind of the interest stuff. The next part, uh, I touched on strength and mobility last time. I don't really have a whole lot of new stuff to share with this. I basically just did the same thing from the strength side of things, the mobility side for a quick recap. My mobility stuff that I focused on the most was reclining hero pose, kneeling hip flexor stretch, pigeon pose, and some static stretching from my hamstrings and calves. And then I did about three sessions in the, in the weight room, focusing uh, mostly on kind of uh, lower, lower reps, uh, three by five leg press, single leg, uh, three by 10 knees over toes squats, three by 10 weighted calf raises, um, three by 10 weighted cable twists. Three by ten lateral pull downs, three by ten box steps, and three by ten Bulgarian split squats. So, those are some things I've been trying to get in, get in just to kind of stay on top of that. Because, like I've said in some of these other streams, like this is just a just as much about kind of injury prevention and staying strong. And I think like if you're just doing a ton of running, you're going to find yourself in a position where you're maybe having imbalances and things like that. Uh, that could potentially be a big issue for me as I'm trying to like run every day for. Know, six plus weeks this fall. So, trying to stay on top of that stuff as well as I ever have has been a big kind of focus of it as well. Um, the other question I, I get basically all the time is just can you tell us what you're actually eating and your kind of daily nutrition? So, last time I picked a random day that kind of highlighted uh, what I was eating. I think it was on like a, a day where I did a 12 miler in the morning and a five miler in the afternoon. So it wasn't like the big simulation day. It wasn't a speed work day or anything like that. And I shared some of the nutrition for that. Uh, for this one, I actually picked a day where it was, it was actually one of the simulation days. And I have that sample for you here. That one was in the morning at coffee with a couple of scoops of S Fuels life an S Fields life bar and four tablespoons of peanut butter. Uh, I had six eggs, two ounces of olive oil, four ounces of sharp cheddar cheese and sea salt, two cups of yogurt, one scoop of S-Fuels Revival, two scoops of S-Fuels Train, one packet of S-Fuels Race Plus. And that that, that was what I had kind of in the middle of the of the running when I was between um, the outside and the, the treadmill session. And then, uh, you know, the bulk of my food came in, in the, near the end. I had, uh, or in the second half of the day, had a pound of ground beef, four ounces of sharp cheddar cheese, two cups of broccoli, and one medium potato that was boiled in bone broth, six tablespoons of uh, sour cream and sea salt, and then I guess a uh, second round of, uh, I guess dinner, early dinner and late dinner is how you can maybe look at it. I had two large chicken thighs and two cups of strawberries, and then along with that came four packets of uh, Element electrolytes and one capsule of bioptimizers magnesium breakthrough was kind of that sample day. So very much on the lower side of low carb, I would say with this, you know, folks who've been following me can, they, they, they wonder sometimes like why, or when I'm changing my carbohydrate intake. And I'm, I'm always falling within the low carb category, but sometimes I'm closer to strict ketogenic. Other times I'm getting up, you know, around 20%, sometimes even more when training's really picking up, uh, what I've been doing is when I'm doing these simulations, I've been s- keeping myself a much closer to like a strict keto protocol. I'll have a little more carbohydrates around those days when I'm doing those speed sessions, those short intervals. Uh, so I think maybe next week or next, next time I do a, a legit speed session, I'll probably take note of my of a sample day for that. So you can kind of get a look at what a day where the intensity is relatively low, but the volume's high. um, and then a day that's like kind of really kind of outlierish with, you know, 40 miles or 46 miles of running, which would be this sample day. And then one where like I have a little bit more carbohydrate than I normally would because it's based around some more intensity type work and things like that. So uh, that's what I got. Uh, we do have a few questions that come have come through that I'll touch on here. Chris asks, Hi Zach, how much animal protein do you shoot for daily? One gram per pound body weight. Yeah, you're right on, Chris. I, I I mean, I focus, I don't even count plant proteins uh, when I'm trying to hit my target, but I do target one gram per pound of uh, animal-based proteins per day. So I'm about 140 pounds. And so I'm usually hitting at least 140. Sometimes I'll get up above that. When I have a day where I'm just burning a ton of energy, like on those simulation days, I'm sure I'm up even higher, closer to like 200 plus, just because a lot of the foods I'm eating come with protein. So that just, it's, it's almost becomes more difficult to not go above the one gram per pound. And I haven't noticed anything, any negative repercussions, like not having like enough energy available because I'm crowding out fats and carbs with, with protein sources, at least not during these really slow long efforts. Um, whether or not that's been helping with the recovery is, is anyone's guess. I've been kind of targeting that one gram per pound for quite some time now. So it's, it's more or less been normalized for me. Uh, let's see here. Um, JC says, great to see you in the chat supporting uh, Taggart, Van Eaton's sixth day in the dome. Yeah. Yeah. So for folks who followed me for a while, um, when I broke the American, or I'm sorry, when I broke the world record, uh, in 2019, there's an event called Six Days in the Dome, and it's a really cool event where it's a back, it's in the Olympic Training Facility there in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So, there's a, a young, fairly new ultra runner, uh, Taggart, who's been kind of taking some swings at some flat, fast stuff in the last couple of years, which is really cool to see this next wave of kind of ultra marathon runners getting interested in the more runnable stuff Uh, in North America, the trails tend to be a lot more popular, but you know, I love the flat stuff. I want people to get excited about it and get the joy out of it that I have. And I think Taggart's definitely falls in that camp in terms of people get excited with the flat controllable stuff. So um, unfortunately he had some hiccups that day, so he wasn't able to um, run quite as fast as he wanted to, but I think we'll see some fast times from him down the road, but they live streamed it. So I was in there checking in and watching it and following along and, uh, having fun with the group of folks who are also watching that, uh, Chris asks over 40 miles, do you factor in cardio drift for, for your aerobic pace? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I don't typically see a lot of cardiac drift at this level or this slow of a pace, although I saw a really big spike On that first day but i'm pretty sure that was just due to i was probably starting to overheat a little bit and maybe getting a little bit behind on fluids and electrolytes because it was just drastic it went from like being at 130 to like spiking up to 162 within like a couple of miles in fact for those of you who use strava to log your um your running or your cycling and your stuff like that if you head over to my strava you can actually see it if you go to the it will be a 40 mile run on Sunday. And if you click on that and look at the heart rate for that run, you'll see where at the very end it starts creeping up and it hits like 162. Uh, Generally, though, I will kind of pay attention to that. But I do find that I don't get terrible cardiac drift if I'm on top of fluids and electrolytes. Now, there is a limit to that. The longer you're out there, you essentially can't possibly keep up. You just can't process if, if it's relatively warm anyway. You can't keep up with the amount of fluid and electrolyte you would actually need. So you're going to inherit at least somewhat of a debt. You're just trying not to let it get too far out of control. So I'll sometimes see a little bit of a drift when I'm doing things that are a little bit closer to my aerobic threshold, which would be, you know, pace is getting down to that low six minute pace. Whereas for this simulation, I'm running nine, you know, nine minute mile pace or so. So it's just like, it's, it's quite a bit on the lower end of the even easy intensity spectrum for me. So I just don't tend to see as much movement there as long as I'm on top of that other stuff. Um, Chris says nine to 10 minute pace. What cadence are you shooting for? Uh, That's a good question. You know, I haven't really been paying attention to it, but now that you mentioned it, I think maybe I'll take a look at that because one thing I have noticed, and this is where I think I'm benefiting a bit from the recovery standpoint is when I'm hitting like nine minute mile pace, it's just so low impact compared to like the normal running that I don't really feel as beat up. But I'm guessing my cadence is a fair bit lower. My cadence is usually going to be around 180. I'm I fit the kind of typical mold pretty cleanly with that. So if I would go out and run like a seven minute mile, I bet my cadence would be right about at 180, give or take. So I'll have to go back and look at that because my watch does track it. I just haven't been paying attention to it. My guess is it's probably at least 10 uh, 10, uh, foot strikes per minute lower, you're going to have a bit of a range. When people think of cadence, a lot of times they think there's this magic number they should hit no matter what, when in reality, you do probably want to be up near 180, just to make sure you're not striding over striding and kind of having that situation where your foot is landing out in front of where your knee would typically bend in and absorb the impacts of running. Uh, and if you're drifting down like under 160 steps per minute, a lot of times that could be a sign that you're overreaching in your stride. Uh, for for most folks, they're probably going to have a range of maybe you know 10 to 20 steps per minute from like their slow pace to like their fast pace. Uh, so for me, like you know 170 to 190 is a pretty typical range. My guess is I'm lower down, down near that lower end, if not even below that, because it's just been, I haven't had a lot of opportunities in training to really, uh, test this pace that I'll likely be doing for, for the transcontinental project. So it's a good question though. And I think maybe something I'll, I'll start paying attention to a little bit. Uh, cool. Um, one other question, Chris asks MCT oil for some quick calories. Yeah. Uh, I was just actually talking, I was on uh, Sean Baker's Uh, morning morning meeting the other day and he was he was talking about mct oil as a way to maybe fuel some of this stuff and keep the carbs low but the energy coming in so i probably will play around with some of that a lot of the s fuels products that i use especially the ones that are like the fat-based ones they do use an mct oil with some of their stuff so i am uh indirectly getting it through their stuff as well but in terms of just going straight mct oil i haven't really played around with that yet but stuff like coconut oils and things like that coconut milk i'll probably be blending in Uh, as I start to play around with some of these higher calorie days and certainly during these, uh, actual runs so that I'm able to kind of get a better grasp of what I'm actually going to need and be able to tolerate and how much of it I'm going to be able to get in. Uh, cool. So, uh, that's what I got for today. Um, next week I'll touch on this, the, the week five of training. Might not have quite as much to share this weekend. I'm actually going to be out in California. My wife is doing the Western States 100. So I'm going to be crewing and pacing. So I will get a good 40-mile run in on Saturday, pacing her. I'm going to take her from Forest Hill into the finish. So uh, it'll be a little bit of a longer simulation, but I probably won't have an opportunity to double that one up since the day before. I'm not going to go out and run that much. And then the day after, you know, it's just going to be a lot of a lot of chaos getting to and from everything into the airport and stuff like that. So it'll be a solo long effort versus kind of a uh, the, the the two day back to back. But in the way I'm looking at this too is usually I'll do like a three maybe four week buildup before kind of taking a step back from whatever the key focus is, just to give my body a little bit of a chance to bounce back. So. This might just be a good week for that so that I'm not doing a simulation essentially every week, if that makes sense. But either way, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Uh, I'll be, I'll be kind of coming in for another for another live stream and then uh, uploading it to, uh, to the audio version of the podcast as well. So thanks again, folks, for checking this one out and adding some questions and comments. And again, uh, thanks to Ultra Footwear and Koros Watches for supporting this live stream uh, links to both of those can be found in my social profiles. If you're interested in checking out ultra footwear or Coros watches, and I've got some discount codes and stuff on there as well. If, if you want to take advantage of that, but otherwise everyone have a great rest of the day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the human performance outliers podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider checking out my website at Zach or my social media channels at zackbitter on Instagram at ZBitter on Twitter and at Zach.Bitter on Facebook. You can also support the show by subscribing and leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to send me an email at HPOPodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.